Welcome, I'm Stephen Barden. This is Migrant Odyssey. As my very first guest on this new podcast series, I'm very fortunate to welcome Dendak Malwal. Dendak was born in South Sudan, but has spent the past 16 years in an enormous refugee camp in northwest Kenya called Kakuma. Set up in 1992, Kakuma is the largest refugee camp in Africa with around 200,000 people from over 20 countries, and I believe another 50,000 in a camp nearby. Over half are from South Sudan, with the remainder from countries including Somalia, Uganda, DRC, Burundi, and Rwanda. Kakuma is different from many other refugee camps, not just because of its size, but because the UNHCR, the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, together with the Kenyan government, changed the usual fairly passive approach of care and maintenance to one in which it encouraged the education, training, and self-reliance of its inhabitants to resume their value to both the host country and the world. At the heart of this approach has been Deng Duck. He was elected as a community leader for four years, working with all stakeholders and governments to ensure peaceful stability and cohabitation within the settlement. He plays leading roles in a number of enterprises, all driving the development of skills as well as employment opportunities, both within Kakuma as well as within the global communities. He's a leader with the Global Shapers Community, a non-profit organization led by leaders under the age of 30 to help develop skills for the future, but with a remarkable awareness for support for health, mental health, civic engagement, and the protection of the planet. Welcome. I'm really delighted to be able to talk with you and to hear your story. It strikes me before we get into that, that both you and Kakuma will overturn a lot of assumptions we may have about refugees. And one of the things that struck me is your ability to balance the local, your local concerns with a very global concern as well. I mean, you've been deeply involved in Kakuma as your home, if you like, and you clearly see the issues there. Somehow you seem to be drawn always to seeing the issues as much more of a global problem, global issue. Is that right? That's right. What drew you to that? What made you feel that, no, no, I can't just work here. I need to be able to get out into the world. One of the things that made me feel that uh, my work should not only be within the camp is the fact that the issues that we are facing in the camp, the problems that I'm trying to solve in the camp are not only affecting the camp, they are affecting the camp and as well as the host community, coming to realize that issues like climate change is not only affecting us and our host community within Kakuma or within Kenya, it's affecting the global. So I have seen it that my work would be much effective when I collaborate with people who are doing the same thing that I'm doing, learning from each other, and then contextualizing how they are doing it in the other part of the world within their camp, because it is each and every individual's contributions that make a global change. Yeah, I see that. So you basically link the camp to the, the host community and then basically to the world, if you like, which have these commonalities and learning from each of them. Can you tell us something about 
where were you born and how you came to be in Kakumai? Just something about those early years. Well, I was born in South Sudan. I was born during the civil war. I was brought up by my parents there. During that time when I left South Sudan, I was still young. Uh, therefore, I do not know what actually was happening. But what I know is that there has been instability. There were fights that made people have to run away. And this is what made me leave, especially my village in South Sudan. So I left the village. I worked for days. On the way, the journey was dangerous as we faced numerous challenges and certainties along the way. So I had to get people who are also separated from their family. And uh, since I was young, there were some elderly people than me who can show us the way. And that's how we make it to the border and we came to them. You left your village. Did you leave your village with your parents or with your family? Or did you leave on your own and that you were separated? How did that happen? I left the village alone. When I left the village, I was not living with my parents. I left alone. I don't know where they went. How old were you then? Uh, by then, I was 13. That was 2006. Your walk from your village in South Sudan to Kenya, how long was that? And can you tell us something about that? My walk from uh, the village that I was took a few weeks. Actually, from there to the border of Kenya, and we were even assisted by the World Food Programme vehicle which were taking food there, finding us that we were in the bushes and we were very tired. That was after two weeks of working in the bush. So they come and for those of us who made it to the road, for those of us who unfortunately, the majority of us who did not make it to the road, end up in the bush. So we were picked on the road after two weeks by the vehicle of uh, World Food Program. And then... Uh, that was before we crossed the border to Kenya. So we were brought up to the border of Kenya, and then we were taken to Lokichogio, where there was a reception for UNHCR. And majority of the compatriots did not make it to the road? Yes. A uh, two-week journey screened many of us, especially those who were having health instabilities, those who were wounded, and those who easily give up. Did you ever meet up with your parents again, with your family? I've talked to my parents, my dad and my mom. Luckily, they are still alive. And they're still there? Yes, they are still there. And you said that the dangers you were facing were from what sorts of things were happening? Were you being harassed by, by the military? Were other things going on? Well, it was a civil war. And you know, when there's instability, many things happen. One of the things is that uh, on the way, there were people who were taking advantage of the displaced people, robbing people, and uh, some were abducting children of my age by then. Also, during those two weeks, there is no food that we can eat. We only depends on fruits. Fortunately, you find some fruits you eat. There were no water, which was very hard as well. Uh, there were wild animals including snakes and other wild animals which are types. Let's talk about Kakuma. So you've been living there for, what, 16 years now, is that right? Yeah, I think this is the 17th year. It isn't a typical refugee camp, is it? Saying typical, what do you mean? The world sees refugee camps as, you know, places where people are put in there, and in some countries, of course, they're not even allowed to work. The agencies come and bring 
food and maintenance and things like that, but that's it. Kakuma is different, that in fact people are encouraged and trained and skilled to become much more valuable than simply being stuck in camps. Is this right, or am I, am I getting the research wrong? Well, actually, because I do not actually know the picture of a typical refugee camp, maybe I can just give you a description of what is happening in the Kakuma refugee camp. I came in 2006 when I was a kid. I started my education in the camp. So what happens in the camp is that uh, there are people who, who came into the camp since 1992, South Sudanese, and they are still in the camp today. And uh, there is a lot of empowerment from the agencies. They are talking about empowerment. They are doing some trainings and encouraging people to engage in activities. But now, as human beings, that would not be enough uh, because this is 21st century. There, are, there has been some typical refugee camps in 21st centuries. People do not need only words and food and shelter. People also need access to information outside the camp and needs people who are capable of picking things or engaging in discussions also need access to this platform outside the camp. Maybe you have been hearing about refugees, talking of refugees' inclusions in Kakuma refugee camp. Yes, there is that empowerment. Refugees are being told that you need to do something about your life for you to men to change your faith, to change your future. And now the question is, how is the refugee going to change their future when they are still in the camp? How are they going to change their life if they are not allowed to go to international platforms? How are they going to change their lives when the decisions of what is to be done to them is made when they are not there. Very, very good point. Basically, that is what is happening in the camp, in Kakuma refugee camp. But Kakuma has built many youth, especially when it's come to resettlement. A very small percentage of refugees who get resettlement, when you get resettled, that is the main things that change people's life in Kakuma refugee. Integration with the host country and resettlement within the host country is not happening, is it? Well, when it comes to integration into the host country, I've been hearing that the talk is still there. The discussion is still going on. But uh, what I was talking about as a resettlement is resettling into the third country, especially the Western countries. And that's a very small number of people going there, right? Less than even 10%. Give me some idea of what it's um, like living in Kakuma. I mean, so you got schooling and education. Was that schooling and education provided, set up by the agencies, or was that schooling and education and teachers that the refugees themselves were putting in? Because when I came, I got the Kamas default by 2006 because it started in 1991. There was school being uh, run by the agencies. So I learned in schools that are being run by agencies, not by the refugees themselves. You became involved in both the leadership within the camp and also in organizations outside the camp as well. When did you start doing that? And what was the light switch, if you like, that went on? You said, that's what I need to do. What was it that made you, a kid who had been 13 years old and came alone to the camp, decide, no, no, this is what I'm going to do. This is what needs to be done. Could you tell me the trigger? What was it that put you into that? I finished my high school in 2015, 
So when I finished my high school, the first thing that I hate in mind is that I need something to sustain myself in the town. So I had to get a job. I was employed by one of the agencies and I was being paid $60 a month. So after that, as I grew, because I have a post parent in the camp, she has been taking care of me since I was 13. So now it is my turn to take care of her because she is old. As I grow from there, I found that uh, there's a lot of things that are happening when I was in school that I don't understand. People are suffering in the camp. I feel that the next step that I had in mind is that why can't I be the leader of these people so that I can represent their views, their complaints? I should be a link between them and the agencies. And this is when I was elected to be the community leader. So I became the link between the refugees and the agencies. If the refugees are having complaints, I take it to the agencies. The agencies give me the feedback. I bring it to the refugees. The same thing to the government of Kenya. So after that, I came to realize that there are challenges that are not even in the hand of the agencies which are within the camp. There are problems that would not be solved by the agencies within the camp. The agencies within the camp have limits. They have mandates. And those mandates, they cannot go beyond it. And there's something that I need beyond the mandates of the agencies within the camp. So this is when I sat down and I was like, where am I going to get these things that cannot be provided by the agencies within the camp? The agencies within the camp cannot give you a platform to air out your views to the global leaders. So this is when I joined the Global Shapers Community, an initiative of the World Economic Forum. And in January, fortunately, I got the chance to attend the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos, where I had the chance to be one of the panelists on uh, climate migration, sharing the first-hand information on what uh, life is in the camp, how hard it is for immigrants, immigrants of war and immigrants of climate change, and how worse it could be if this climate change could even destabilize the host countries that the refugees are in current. So step by step, until now that I'm at this level, and uh, what I require my now, the next levels that I'm into is the refugees policies that are in place currently are the 20th century policies. We are 21st century refugees. The needs for the 20th century refugees are not the same as the needs that we need currently. There has been a lot of change from 2000 to 2023. A lot of change. Even the policies need to be changed. Changes like a refugee currently doesn't only need a ration card where they are going to collect their food on a monthly basis. They don't need a shelter that should be provided for the rest of their life. What the refugees need now are skills and getting a job so that they get out of the camp when they are financially stable, they can provide for themselves, just like any other persons there outside there. They live anywhere that they need to live, just like any other human being. As long as they do everything that is legal to the host country, then they should be paid an amount that is equivalent to any other persons. They should not be paid that this amount of money a refugee should not be paid more than this limit. If you are a teacher and I am a teacher, we are teaching in the same school. We are going there from 6 a.m. We are coming back at 5 a.m. 
were delivering the same curriculum, I should not be paid less just because I'm a refugee. That is absolute discrimination. And is that what happens now? That's what happens in many countries that are hosting refugees. You have the skill, but you will be paid a certain amount of money that the refugee should not be paid more than this because one, you do not have work permit. Two, you are a refugee. Maybe you are being provided for with water and maybe you are getting food after every month. Maybe you are given shelter. All those things contribute to you being paid less, but the effort that you are giving is the same effort that everybody is giving. You said earlier on, and I wanted to follow up on this, you know, there's, okay, so we have the education. You said, you know, I had the education and these people are getting educated, but educated for what? Because where are they going to go and get work, right? And there are a couple of things there. One is, of course, can the people in Kakuma actually leave and find employment elsewhere, or are they stuck in the camp, number one? And number two, could you tell me something about your efforts to create employment and work within the camp as well? Well, starting with the first question, whether the refugees are stuck or allowed to go and stay elsewhere, currently in Kenya, you are allowed on conditionally. You should go and get a travel permit. Mostly if you are not going for education, you might not be given more than three months. So you can leave the camp, yes, but you are leaving the camp with a travel permit that on this date, after this long, you should come back to the camp. So there's a still restriction. And uh, what the refugees need is that you have the refugees document. So if you have the refugees document, you have been registered and verified by the host country that you are a refugee and you are allowed to stay in that country. Why can't you just stay anywhere in that country? Why should it be only within the country? The second question is on uh, what I'm doing to promote employment amongst the refugees. Currently, I'm involved in uh, an organization called StepUp.One as a team leader. Uh, StepUp.One, our aim is to employ a million refugees by 2030 all over the world. So what we do is that we bring in refugees. It doesn't matter what education level or experience that you are in. As long as you have the time and you are a refugee, you are willing to learn. So we'll teach you short skills that you can put into practical within a few weeks. Possibly after two weeks, you should put what you learn into practice. So we will teach you that. Then we try to connect you with jobs outside Kakuma Refugee Camp. Remote jobs like social media management, branding, recruitment. So that's what I'm doing so far. It has been well so far. I joined the organization in 2021, and uh, the organization has been growing aggressively, employing hundreds of refugee youth now. And are they getting lots of jobs outside in other countries? They are getting jobs outside their camps. Give me an example. Of, for example, say I was a, um, a businessman and I wanted uh, a remote assistant, right, to do my appointments and things like that. Is that the sort of thing you would do? That's one of the things that we do. Actually, as a Stephen, we can do a lot of things for you. One of the things is that you have this podcast that you need people to know about. Now we are doing this interview and you would need now as many people as possible to listen to this podcast, uh, listen to your ideas. So what we do mostly is we create that social media presence for you. We make sure that like 
maybe if you choose carving the narratives of refugee in the Western world, if somebody key in or Google something that relates to refugees in the Western world and the policies in the Western world, that you should be coming on the first page of the Google, we can do that for you. How we can do it is that we make sure that we will be posting relevant contents consistently, maybe for the next six months to one year. Then we do the evaluation. We do evaluation mostly every week so that we can rectify things which are happening. Also, you are looking for refugees who can come and air out their stories for you. We can do that as well for you. And uh, we can find refugees in Africa, refugees in Asia, refugees in, in Europe. So that's what we do mostly. And uh, for companies or now, guys who are doing business mostly, we do branding for them. Maybe you can do branding in your location. Like now that I'm in Kenya, the Kenyans can know me because I'm present here. But the outside world cannot know me. So this is where we come in to ensure that you will be known outside your country, outside your continent, the same way that you are known within your country. And how much do these services cost? So if I say, oh, I wanted you to go and get, set up a social presence uh, and go and find me some refugees, how much would that cost somebody like me? That would cost $300 a month. Yeah. How many clients do you have? Okay, we have been working for clients. Sometimes the contract ends. If a client, like for instance, you, if you are working on this series that you are doing now, and by the end of the series, you will say, okay, until the next series, let me work on it. I'll call you guys. So far, I think we are having 200 plus clients that we are having. And the contracts are worked out. So does the organization take in the money and pay its workers? Yes. Now, what organizations do is that the payment is done through subscriptions to the organizations. That is a step up dot one. Then now step up dot one will come and pay the workers. So it is like you subscribe to the service of stepup.one, then stepup.one now will pay the person working for you. But you will always have direct contact, Zoom meetings, just as we are doing now with the person that is working for you. You see, I told you it was a good idea to do this podcast. <laughs> so we will, have, we will be having a chat after this. There's no doubt about that. We will be having a chat about that. Did I read correctly in your profile that actually you're now doing a university degree? Is that right? I got an opportunity with uh, Jesuit Worldwide Learning, an organization that is uh, sponsoring online learning for refugees in Kakuma Refugee Camp. So I was enrolled in the University of Ubaneswa, called Xavier University, in Sustainable Development Goals. That is very important to you. Again, why is that important to you? Okay, well, I can say that um, the main reason that I got enrolled is that uh, the high education opportunities in the camp are so limited. So whenever you get an opportunity, it doesn't matter it is a course that you like or not. The ones that I took is so much relevance to the work that I do. What I'm seeing now is that I need everything that I do is about sustainability how the refugees of my age would change the fates of the refugees of the next generation. How the consumptions of things and lives of people within the camp will not be a threat to the national climate 
of this country that we are in. Because you see, at some points, refugees are seen as people who can only bring disasters to countries. That's why many countries are running away from refugees. But now what people do not know about the refugees are that these are people who have brain. In fact, they are brilliant people. They are talented people in that camp. People who can contribute to the economy of the country. Like, as I told you now, that we have 200 plus clients and we are staying in Kenya. Now, look, if we are 200, let's say just 200 employed youth who are refugees, each being paid $300. You see, that's 60,000 US dollars a month. This money is coming to Kenya. In a year, that would be a good amount of money boosting the economy of the country. These are the positivity of the refugees that people do not see. In countries like, for instance, Australia, in the World Cup, there were refugees from South Sudan, from my country, who are playing in their squad. They are playing in the national team of Australia in the World Cup. You see, that's also positivity of the refugees being in Australia and other refugees who are doing marvelous jobs in many countries outside there. But people do not look at that. People look at these people are coming to degrade our environment. These people are traumatized and they are coming. They are violence. They are coming to cause chaos in our country. Look, and every country has criminals. There's no country that doesn't have criminals. And refugees are just like any other community outside there. They are both good and bad people within there. Only that they need to be managed just like any other person. Well said. Dengduk, where can people get hold of you, contact you and your organizations, particularly Step Up? Give us some contact details if you want, so that if anybody's listening to that and they want to contact you, they want to contact your organization to help, where should they contact you? Currently, as a digital profession, I usually use LinkedIn so much. And uh, LinkedIn, you can just find my name as Deng Dark Malwal. From there, you can find both my phone number and my email. You can also find me in other social medias like Facebook, the same name, Deng Dark Malwal. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Deng Dark Malwal. And you can find me on Twitter as Deng Dark Malwal as well. And step up simply, what is the website for that? Do you know? Step up, you can just write stepup.one and when you Google that, it comes. It will now depend on, you can go on the refugees page, you can go on the client page, or you can go to our business page where our clients pay and do subscriptions. That's a good place to end. Thank you very, very, very much. I look forward to seeing more and more of you. I, I first first came to my notice when you first went to the uh, World Economic Forum in January, and I've been waiting to do this podcast since then because I realized that how important the work you're doing and how important it is for us to understand not only the refugee system, the conditions of refugees, but also the value that refugees bring. As we go more and more into climate change and the world is becoming more disruptive, more and more people are going to be refugees and more and more people need to be promoted and helped to become ordinary citizens of the world. Thank you very much, Dr.